Hi, this is David Bateson, voice of Hitman's Agent 47, and you're listening to the Sound Architect Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Sound Architect Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Hughes, and as you just heard, I'm joined by the wonderful David Bateson. Thanks for joining me today, David. How are you? My pleasure. I'm fine, thanks. Looking forward to summer holidays, I suppose. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's great to have you back. I mean, I can't believe it's been four years since we saw you at the BAFTA Games Awards. Yeah. Um, is it really already that four Time years? Time just goes. Blimey. Yeah, and uh, I would have been there this year, and would have been there cheering you on, only for bloody yeah covid-19. Oh yeah, it's been a it's been a crazy 2020, that's for sure. Yeah. In terms of 2020 though, it is a big year for you and Hitman fans, isn't it? 20 years as agent 47. That's that's quite an achievement. That must feel quite surreal. Beyond surreal. I actually wasn't aware of it until someone pointed it out to me at the beginning of this year or actually towards the end of in December last year and said, "Do you realize this coming year is your 20th anniversary?" I went, "What?" But uh, I'm only 20 years old. What are you talking about? You know, <laughs> time goes so quickly. And I, I had no idea. Two decades. That's insane. Yeah. And how does it feel after, I mean, thinking back to when you first auditioned for Hitman. Yeah. Did you ever even consider that this would be the kind of franchise it would be today? 100% no. Although I will say um, I was convinced that the game was good or, or right from the get-go. And um when I first saw the first graphics, and I thought, "Shit, this is this is good. I really want to do this and be a part of this." But um, even Jan Flosser, the then sort of main guy at, at uh, of the of the four or five guys who who started up IO Interactive, even he admitted a couple of years later, when I saw him in a in a suit and a tie uh, in IO Interactive's building at that time, which is a brand new building on on the foreshore in Copenhagen and he had the slightly dazed look we had a IO get together and I went uh, Jan you okay he went yeah but um I could see he was just kind of taking it all in yeah just a bit overwhelmed yeah well he was because then you know he, they, he admitted that um that they were this this new yeah computer game was really one of the many ideas they had and that they were hoping it would make enough money so that they could invest it in other games. And suddenly he was the CEO in a building with 200 programmers uh, in a, you know, and just kind of going, what the hell happened? <laughs> just a bit of a tornado just left him bewildered. Yeah. And what was the original what was the original brief like when you first went in and you auditioned for this role? Like how did you get the role? Were you called about anything to do with Hitman or did you pitch yourself no i mean i've it's i've been said this before yeah but i was purely by chance and you know there's this thing called serendipity and i, I think that's the right word where I, you, if you look back on where you are now for example and ask yourself how did i get here and then you kind of wind back to the decisions that have led you to where you are now yeah and i find this really interesting because 
I'll keep this as a short answer, but very briefly, I had a moment of zen or bing a couple of years ago when it dawned on me that the reason why I became an actor or ended up as an actor, I should say, uh, although I was studying drama, but I didn't think I was going to go that direction. I thought I'd end up behind the cameras in some, some way. The reason why was because I was stopped from leaving an audition for the National Theatre Company in South Africa. I was stopped by uh, a senior lecturer at my university. Now, I've always gone around, I've still got the, the telegram, I've always had this feeling that I became an actor on the day I received the acceptance telegram, I mean, just, we're talking that far, far <laughs> long ago, um, saying, welcome, congratulations, you've been accepted into the National Theatre as a company member. Oh, wow. And actually, oh, wow. the decision to become an actor was one step earlier. It was the man who stopped me from walking away from the audition and persuaded me, because long story, I won't go into that, but I was only there to be reading in, as a part of a duologue for, for the star actress of the drama department. So I was unnamed. Oh, wow. And she couldn't turn up. She was throwing up with nerves. And I ended up going, well, that's it. I'm game over. I'm going surfing then. And I was walking out, <laughs> and, the, and this senior lecturer, Peter Lalam, said, oi, where are you going? And I told him. And he said, no, 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 no. You don't know this, David. You're 20 years old. But this is a moment, a very important moment in your life. No one, what are you talking about? Anyway, so the end, I, he persuaded me. I went in with some other audition pieces that I could had time to refresh, and boom, got the job, got the telegram, decided to become an, act, an actor as opposed to something you know behind the camera. And that was the first step. It's, and that in turn led to obviously various decisions along the way and moving away from South Africa because I didn't want to grow old under apartheid, boom, into England. Seven very fantastically shitty years in London <laughs> um, as an actor, uh, going, what the hell happened? And then being getting an audition, leading me to Copenhagen, uh, which was only supposed to be a, a 10-week gig, got extended, blah. That's a long extension. And <laughs> fell in love with the place. And, and a year after, I managed to get a job so I could stay in the country. And that's when my you know, journey continued uh, to really take hold, especially in, in voiceovers, although I do film, TV, and theater acting. Um, and that led me to be in a studio in Copenhagen doing a, a corporate voiceover and someone coming in from a studio next door and saying, Dave, listen, um, we're doing the computer graphics for a new computer game and uh, we need a voice for this guy. Uh, would you mind coming and have a look? Would you give it a go? And, of course, that led to me saying, yes, I'll have a look when I've finished. That's amazing. Did so. And then and I looked at this and thought, this is a no-brainer. This is film noir. It had a fantastic, dark, sort of Japanese uh, cartoon film look about it. The guy even looked like me to begin with. And that led me to do the job. So it's all these things, looking back, that led you to that moment of being in the right place at the right time. Um, so I kind of shake my head at that, but someone's got a sense of humor somewhere. Yeah, definitely. It's amazing when you look back at different moments in your life and some bigger than others, but you can, you can almost look at these junctures in life and think, man, if I just didn't do that, or yeah. if I hadn't been that close to that thing, then man, my whole life would be different. <laughs> well, look at you, Sam. I mean, what are you doing in Finland? Are, it's very true. It's very, very <laughs> How true. How did you get yeah. last time we met? 
We were on the red carpet in uh, at the BAFTAs, you know. Uh, yeah, I had no clue. And uh, <laughs> even up until like a month or two before going, I never really knew that it was happening. It was just part of the process. And then, you know, they're like, yep. And I go, okay, right. Uh, I'm moving to Finland next month. Okay, <laughs> right. That's happening. That's a thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. You know, that oh, yes, definitely. Expression. But it, it's, it makes you smile, when you, especially when you've got some mileage and can look back on those those key moments in your life and you go how did i get here oh yes that's how i got here that's how because i made that decision yeah i'll be honest i stopped planning that was pretty much what i did i i I thought i had a plan and nothing went according to plan so i just kind of went do you know what no more plan i'm just gonna (laughs) see what happens yeah and i think that actually um in my experience that actually frees you up a bit more Mm. in the sense of uh uh, if you really, really want something, it's good to have a goal and to work towards something and, and do everything in your power. But I don't know if you, definitely as an actor, there's so much out of your control that sometimes when you walk into an audition, you know, you just look like a loser because <laughs> you're, you're a bit white-knuckled and, and beads of sweat on your that, on your forehead because i got to get this job. got to get <laughs> you it. You look yeah. a bit too desperate. Yeah, and then it doesn't happen. So if you let go, sometimes you come in and... I was told that once, actually, many years ago by an actor, a friend of mine, who was who had a disgusting strike rate in auditions in London. He was he just wanted to punch him. <laughs> he was just he doing got every so job well. he ever went for. So well. Yeah, you know, he was in the first Sweeney Todd in the West End, and he went to this, and he was a lead. I'm going, okay, you've got a good agent that's getting you the, sh- the place, but you're up against still half of Britain. And he went, I, and his attitude was, you know what I do? Uh, uh, it's going to annoy some people, but I go in like pretend to myself and convince myself I don't even need this job I don't even you know they should be lucky to get me but I'm not I'm not and it was a way of tricking him to not be nervous yeah so instead of going in as a as a victim he went in as an equal where mentally he was going right you have a problem I don't have a problem you are the one with the problem you've got to cast this and I can help you Rather than give me the job, you know. Yeah, exactly. And it's almost like that job interview advice where they're like, you know, it's not just you that needs to convince them. It's like treating it like they have to convince you that you want to be in it as well, you know, and tricking yourself into that arrogance almost. Mentally, (laughs) it it really, it it does help. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, over such a vast uh, career in general, but also this one role throughout the whole time. Yeah. um, What was it like having Hitman as a constant in your life? while everything else was happening. Do you know what I mean? Like having Hitman stay true throughout, how was that? Well, you know, I know exactly what you mean in that question because at that stage I was still relatively, no, I'd been in Denmark now for a while and, and I did feel at home as much as you you can feel at home in a place which is not of your birth or your birth country. Agent 47 became and still is uh, my companion he became a friend of mine. Yeah, and this, yeah. I know it sounds really wanky to say that. No, no, I, I, I honestly get it. Yeah, no actor ever gets to play the same role for such a long time unless you're on Coronation Street or some, you know, a, a long-running soap or something. Mm. So I have an one an incredible affection for Agent Forty Seven, and uh, and he is my friend. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm thinking, seeing a therapist about this. You know, split personality. Is it weird that I understand it completely? I think we both have a problem. Yeah, I just <laughs> he's kind of a, a a real anchor for me, and 
and I identify so much with, the, with his backstory. And, and, and I've tried over the years to imbue some of his haunting melancholy or aloneness in the way I would say the lines. Because you can say lines in all sorts of different ways. Oh, of course. Uh, exact same words and have a completely different meaning if you just give it an in, another kind of slant. And so, so, yeah, it's been a journey we've taken, taken together. And I'm very proud of that or privileged to be in his company. Yeah, and you should be proud. It's quite an achievement, and it's been an amazing performance every time as well. Yeah, thanks. And I have to ask as well, like, he's like a friend, right? Yeah. So it, it, I, I'm kind of going down this weird rabbit hole now. <laughs> I only wish I could go drinking with him. I mean, it would be great if I could just, you know, press the 3D button and boom, okay. Yeah, let's go down the pub. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I need help now. He's a good guy to have on your side, let's put it that way. Put your <laughs> guns down, let's go and have a beer. Um, but it must have been periods of time, like I, I don't know uh, the exact development time of each one or how long you went between games, but you know, from my experience as well, it must be like you miss him when you're not doing it, right? Like you do so much Hitman work that you get to a period without that you're like, do you know what, I really kind of miss doing Agent 47, I kind of want to do that a bit more. Yeah, you know what, Sam? You sound like an actor. You sound, you, 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 you be careful now. You can, I know, it's dangerous territory. You're heading that way, especially with all the wonderful work you've done on Control. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean it. Shit, man, that's a body of work for you. Way to go. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I mean, if I may. Of course. But um, no, uh, yeah, it's it's a journey. You're, you're, you're grateful for the work and and the relationship you develop with the same character over the, all those years. But it it's definitely um, enriched me. And and it's, I mean, I'm not a, a violent person as such. I mean, I jokingly say, but with a little bit of a twinkle in my eye, that I know some people I'd like to take out <laughs> or, or hurt at least. And there are casting directors on two or three different continents, I think. But... That it is a, a rapport or a relationship, which are so. When I'm away from that, I do get, I genuinely do miss it. I miss it, funny enough, just after we're finished. Um, I mean, I'm now it's officially announced. Obviously, I'm doing Hitman Three. Yes, congratulations. And and, and we're recording now. Um, we've only had one sitting, and the second sitting has been obviously postponed a bit uh, because of COVID. But we um, that kicks in again straight after the summer holidays. Now, yeah. I'm telling you now, I am looking forward. I'm going to be run to the sound studio because um, I'm going to see and hang out with Agent 47. And and I'm going to enjoy each time I go because this, this recording process could last up to six months. Yeah. So it's I'm going to be hanging out with Agent 47 for the next six months. I'm going to miss it when it stops. Of course, yeah. I'm going to miss course, it so much. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, damn, oh, okay. All right, Agent 47. See you around. See you, um, <laughs> see you when I you see know, you. Have a, good, have, a, have a good holiday. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, it is weird, but I'm, I will definitely miss it when, when we uh, get to the end of the recording. Yeah, well, it ties quite nicely into my next question, actually, because it, it reminds me of how when you watch a long-running TV series, like especially something like a comedy or a short um, episode series that goes on for a long time, right? Yeah. And then it ends, and 
you sort of miss the characters. Like you were watching them for years or like, you know, over the period of months every week or something. And then yeah. the series goes away and you go, oh, I kind of miss those people. Um, but also I've noticed that <laughs> maybe just me, um, I'm a bit of a sponge, but um, when I watch a show, yeah, I pick up characteristics of one of the characters that I either relate to or like the most or, you know, yeah. want to be like the most. And I, I pick up those characteristics throughout the time of watching the seasons. So I'm just kind of curious whether doing Hitman for so long, like what has become a part of you? Like what, what have you taken from Agent 47 after being that character constantly for 20 years? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a two-part answer to this. Um, one, the... the I'll go to the second part. It's, um, it's his... Uh, because I identify so strongly with his his aloneness, the fact that he's, you know, searching for his identity. or It's not his main goal, but it's it's there under the surface all the time as he's professionally going about his job. Yeah. And I relate so strongly to that. It's become a case of, have I imbued him with that feeling of aloneness, like being on the outside looking in. It's not a sad feeling as such. I mean, it's just my upbringing and, and, and the way I've moved around all my life so much mm. that, um, you know, I don't have a childhood home or childhood friends or childhood, those kind of consistence. Uh, um, uh, is it me that's imbued him with those that melancholy or cool aloofness or is it is he affecting me and it should obviously on paper his character starts off uh, on a piece of paper with lines so it, it does come from my personality to him but over the years because as I say during a recording six months period I genuinely I genuinely enjoy it uh, as I'm hanging out with my mate, so that when it ends, and I, as I said earlier, and I go, oh, oh, I miss him, <laughs> oh, bum, <laughs> then it makes me wonder, okay, who's missing who? You know, uh, is he missing me, or am I? Which came first, the the chicken or the egg? The yeah, is his is his personality? Is, is, have I given it to him? Yes, I must have, but it feels like. He's given it to me that I've, I'm, I'm missing something. Yeah, it's like a weird circle. Yeah. The other part of the answer is late last night, I do this often if I can't sleep. I just kind of, as we all do, pick up your mobile. And I, I watch Graham Norton best best ofs. Nice. You know, the highlights of his different nice. interviews. And I ended up watching last night, about half past one in the morning, I'm watching him with some of the cast of um, Downton Abbey, Hugh Bonneville and, and uh, Mer uh, what's her name? Oh, oh dear, that's terrible. The elderly actress who's stunning. Uh, God, she's a living legend. I can't remember. I apologise. I've never watched one. Downton Abbey. So. <laughs> Don't you? No, I've never no, seen I, it. I mean, I've only watched the, the f probably the first or two series out of the eight series they've made. But the point is, Graham Norton says, oh, look, here's a photograph of you, the servants, uh, on the red carpet of some, I think it was the BAFTAs, actually. And... His his comment was, "Oh look, didn't oh it's nice. They must have borrowed a dress, or oh, they dress, they do shine up rather nicely, don't they? The <laughs> servants, you know." He was seeing the actors as as the domestics in this big household, yeah. not as actors, you know. And then he asked, um, 
Oh, God, this is shameful. I can't remember her name. Well, I want to say Meryl Streep, but it's not, obviously. It'll come to me. He asked the elderly matriarch of this household, don't you miss it? And she just didn't even answer. She just looked at him with a sort of steely... And obviously she was, you know, the one pushed to come with an answer. She said, no, I don't. Oh, wow. And and it felt a bit mean and churlish, you know, in a way, because everyone's going, oh, you must miss it. You've played it for the last eight years, eight seasons, whatever. Yeah. And she said, no, I'm, you know, it's, for her, she's like in her 80s now. And she can't, you know, from the, from the passage of time in the, over the eight series. Oh, was it Maggie Smith? Uh, Maggie Smith, for goodness sake. Day Maggie Smith. Of course. Thank you. You're very welcome. You know, <laughs> she was saying that, you know, no, it was getting ridiculous because she would have to be 125, you know, over the span of the, the series. Yes. Because she started out being an old spinster. And so <laughs> weird, it didn't leave her much to go. And she was like, she's an elderly lady. Go and give her a rest. But the point being is that that identity feeling really can blur your what's real and what's not real. Yeah. And I don't want to interfere with that process. I actually like not quite knowing, is this real or is this... I don't want to be too practical about life, uh, although we're often, obviously, on a daily basis, forced to be boringly practical in many ways. But I like the idea of disappearing into a character or disappearing into... Uh, a scene or a film, obviously, or a piece of theatre, just, and we have that as human beings, that we can just let go. And we know we're in a false environment. We're sitting in the dark in a cinema or in a theatre, and we think, oh, yes, he's the King of France. No, he's bloody not. It's, <laughs> it's John Smith from Croydon. You know, he's, you know. Um, and I like that, that whole privilege we have as uh, as actors if it's voice acting or, or you know any kind of acting that you get to just let go and, and play in your own imagination and I think that can be a hard thing to do later in life uh, it's easy when you're up to about 12 years old you know oh, you yeah. just pick up a stick oh, yeah. and, you, and you run with it it's a lightsaber of course it's a lightsaber <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly one day you're going it's a stick oh no I've got this problem throw that away because I want to look yeah, reality cool. creeps in and you're like oh okay it's not a lightsaber anymore yeah no you become more self-aware and, and, it, and it cocks up the whole imaginative process but acting holds that back a bit doesn't it and keeps the imagination yeah. same as any creative art really music writing um, you know anything totally I mean, it doesn't have to be acting I was just saying if it's writing someone sits down in a room alone staring at the screen and goes chapter one yeah and just creates a world and a story I'm just blown away by that uh, uh, discipline, but also that, uh, yeah, uh, long-distance runner uh, ability to use your imagination and let it go and run with it. Definitely. And I'm going to sound a bit preachy and pretentious maybe a bit now, but um, I'm, I'm a keen believer in the strength of imagination and keeping that spark of creativity because I think people are too easily underwhelmed now. Yeah, they will look at something and they will instantly go, "Well, it's not as good as that one," and I expect better. And blah blah blah. This isn't amazing. We have amazing stuff now. Yeah, and I still try to retain that childlike look of looking at it and going, "That is a shed ton of zeros and ones, and it makes things appear on the screen and makes all these noises happen." And I still look at technology and kind of go, 
I still, it doesn't make any sense how we've done this, but we've done it. Like, <laughs> well, you know, that's it's a very interesting way of you're describing that. It's literally the zeros and ones of of computer programming that makes all this magic and three D, you know, and surround sound and effects and lighting, you know, turn into a a whole world of otherness, yeah. which is totally believable. And you're right. Um, it can be hard to impress a modern gamer because the bar is so high. It's permanently high. So even if the if there comes a new engine and, you know, if it's a PlayStation 5 game, okay, brace yourself, everyone. We've got Hitman 3. And, of course, it's going to be mind-bogglingly fantastic. Yeah. But people, uh, the gamers and people in general, expect it. So that they're, they're almost less you know, appreciative of of the of the the leap in technology. You know, it makes you kind of go, oh, bloody hell, what have you got to do? Oh, <laughs> well, it's the um, it's the kind of acceleration of evolution, I guess, in terms of our technology, because it's the same with movies, right? Remember yeah. when you first saw these big explosions in films, and you're going, oh wow, how do they do? That's poor. Yeah. And then now you watch the newest Star Wars, which is an immense amount of work, and everyone's just kind of like, hmm, yeah, it was all right. Yeah, I know. There was, I saw it in, one, in some interview. I can't remember what it was. They showed some scenes from Star Wars. It was, it, it was, yeah. It was based on. It was one. It was a Graham Norton thing, and they had um, what's it, the girl in the latest one, uh, Ridley. Uh, Daisy Ridley. Daisy. Daisy, and they showed some um, some um, green screen work. You know, some motion cap work, and and they also had another. I watched something else. Uh, the same evening with uh, an interview with um, James Cameron and, among others, Ridley Scott and uh, Steven Spielberg, where they showed some of their work in progress, from Avatar and uh, to the you know to the Star Wars films. They had George Lucas was in there and talking about the technology and so on. And when you cut away, you, you see first the finished thing. Uh, and you get oh yes the planet's about to explode and get off get the get out of there and then you cut away to the to the motion cap scene and you're going fuck <laughs> <laughs> that looks really shit <laughs> because there's like you know five actors in spandex covered in in dots acting their socks off yeah. in a very boring room you know and uh, and all that work all those dots and and uh, um, zeros and ones are going to make that into magic afterwards. Yeah. So right there, you know, you've got those the people on the set of these motion cap studios, all having to use every ounce of their imagine imagination uh, in order to help that the the zeros and ones process afterwards. Yeah, and it takes an immense amount of people and like. The consumers, um, I mean, yeah, and then you, as you say, the fans go, "Yeah, that wasn't bad." Yeah, you, what? But even I've done it. I get it. Like you get too used to it. Yeah, and then you start looking at all the flaws, and then you look at other things, and you kind of go, "Yeah, but I prefer this one." And it's <laughs> it's fine. It's absolutely fine to do that. But it still amazes me how they make it. I still go, "Yeah, the effects were pretty incredible." <laughs> Didn't like the film, but it was great. Well, I wander around sometimes. Um, in uh, IO Interactive, if when I'm in, because the, the, the recording studio is not in IO Interactive, uh, but when I'm in IO Interactive, I like to really go around the building, uh, which is huge, uh, on different on three or four floors, and on the whole top floor, 
is a chill area with lots of screens and then a massive uh, motion cap studio. Nice. But I like to wander around and see what the the the, the designers are doing, or the, the um, uh, co com computer programmers are, are doing. And, you know, go in and see one guy and say, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm doing shadow. And you're going, what? Yeah. So I said, you sit here in the dark doing shadows. He said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know... I, it can be that sort of banal. So, and you're looking at a picture that looks fantastically f finished. And no, there he is. He's lighting up the, the light that bounces off the top of a, a lamp and then a bit of a reflection on a, on a glass table. You know, I'm going, shit, how long does it take you to do this? Or oh, three months. Bloody hell. <laughs> you know? It's amazing, isn't it? And then I just quietly leave the room and go, jeez, you know. Um, uh, are humbled by that process. Yeah, definitely. And going back to to, to Hitman, I'll stop going on about the the consumers and the, of of the future. <laughs> My big no, no, no. Um So yeah, back to to Hitman as well. I'm curious because I I have a very strong memory of my favorite moment of the Hitman franchise. Oh, really? Yes, because it was one of the best things I ever saw, and it wasn't actually the game. Um, the game is amazing, but my favorite moment throughout your career has to be. Um, when you were voicing a live-action version of Hitman. <laughs> and not only that, the best one out of the whole collection was the Chuckle Brothers oh, playing live-action Hitman, and it was amazing. Oh, bless <laughs> the Chuckle Brothers. May you rest in peace. Yes. Yeah, that was pretty wild. I mean, having them in my ears, because we, we, you know, we did that, obviously, live. Yeah to a bunch of YouTubers, uh, both in London and in, in LA, over a weekend. And it was the, the, the man who invented uh, the sewing machine, Mr. Singer. Oh, all right. Singer sewing machine. He was a nutter, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yes, typical British eccentric, you know, aristocrat nutter, whatever. And uh, he had this house, well, house. It's a, it basically like a small Buckingham Palace. Yeah, it was huge. A 250-room shack, you know, down in southwest England, and uh, which is kind of mothballed, but in perfect condition. And um, the, the uh, what were they called? Is it Realm Pictures? They, they were allowed to kind of uh, invade it and take it over for a weekend with 22 actors and about, I don't know, 30 technicians setting up cameras in every orifice and corner of the, the building. And in this one control room with all these um, screens up, I was put in a glass a glass sound booth so I could see all the screens. And then it would be like, okay, we're ready to go. Here's the first guy. And the Chuckle Brothers were insane because <laughs> they had their own agenda. They were amazing. Now, the idea was they that you know, 60 minutes to get through this. They were, whoa, I mean, you know, it's like, right, it's on their way up the steps, uh, Agent 47, could you just, uh, you know, uh, take the air out of the radiators? And they're going, I'm going, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> well, just do it. <laughs> take that monkey wrench, take it with you. You never know, it might be, you know, just, I'm going, uh, okay. <laughs> I think I remember one as well. Like, I think he said something like, what was he like? Put him in the shed, Barry. And he's like, it's on fire. It's like, it's all right. We don't need him anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it was such fun. It, I mean, I want more of that. If, if every, oh, I mean, I know in, in the, the closest we get to doing that in, in the 
in the the computer game is the uh, uh, the elusive target, uh, where you you know in a, for a fixed period of time, you get to take out Sean Bean, for example. Yes, who's been you know scanned and but it's all real time. Don't fuck up and. Uh, you're going to get one shot at this and you can't just reboot and that's it. So just to kind of make it as realistic as possible. And this was the this was that times 100 because it was real. Yeah. You know, you could just ignore the whole mission and go and have an ice cream and <laughs> or just go outside and shoot the driver and fuck off in the in the in the Ferrari, you know. Wow. But speaking of which, I thought that was always fun that no matter how these experienced YouTubers reacted to this uh you know uh real life hitman experience when they ran out of the the building at the end uh to escape whether they succeeded or not they were faced with a you know a, a truck you know a white van or a red ferrari you know and i remember without fail everyone went bloody hell you know can we can we take the ferrari <laughs> just in yeah, disbelief let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just incredible where they completely lost the plot uh, in the sense that they were they were consumed by the game. Yeah. And going, we're going to steal a Ferrari. Go for it. It's amazing, isn't it? Amazing. Uh, and they just see yeah. it and they're like, so, we can't, um, can we? Can we? Can we? No, we can. <laughs> we're doing it. We're doing it. You know? So I just like that, again, back to losing yourself in, in a game uh, element and just going, and, and because it was all real and real people and, and live time, it just... It kind of upped the ante to the ultimate sort of, yeah, game experience. Yeah. And that's my favorite moment of Hitman over the last 20 years, I have to <laughs> the say. Brothers. Has to be one of, has to be the highest point. Um, but what about you? What's your highlight or like one of the biggest highlights of, of Hitman over the last 20 years? Well, I have, that is, is kind of up there, but it, that was um, st still a kind of a... a a side attraction to the main event of of Hitman, of course. the computer of course. game. Um, for me, it's uh, yeah, I've got really good memories. Maybe it's because the standard, the scripts of, I mean, the scripts, the the growth of the or the development of the scripts um, from a, a monosyllabic, um, one-liner kind of guy who. That's all you needed to get from one level to the next as a few, you know, deadpan uh, deliveries mm -hmm. to the level of uh, complexity that the scripts have now, which are like reading, seriously, like reading a finished film script. They're just steeped in, uh, in backstory and uh, descriptions and cutaways. And you're going, it's really, it's mind-blowing to read. Um, I... So I enjoy more and more the recording process. And that started already for me where it really got challenging and interesting as an actor um, uh, from Blood Money. All right, yeah. Uh, and then it went up a huge notch, which was a six-year break before we got to Absolution. And that script was just bloody hell. We should just film this and make a bloody feature film out of it. This is insane. Uh, and it was a nice piece of acting work for me with the kind of what I thought was the betrayal of me with Diana and, and I had to go and kill my boss and the whole uh, sense of, of betrayal and, and then having to look after, oh, it was just to look after this 
uh, girl and had that sort of, um, what was that? Leon feel to it. It just had a kind of a great filmic journey. And then until now, the Hitman 1, 2 and 3s, it's just, um, it's off the scale. So for me, the highlight is the recording, um, which kind of is a no-brainer in a way. But it's it's the, what is the appeal is the uh, intensity and uh, depth of the scripts. Uh, that's, so that's part of me getting back to what I was saying earlier, how much I'm going to enjoy hanging out with Agent 47 because we're going to say some really good stuff together. <laughs> yes, um, definitely. And there's some really, really good scenes coming up, which are just, yeah, off the scale. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it, uh, and that is the thrill for me. So it's, I don't have a specific one-off memory. I mean, I, have, I love meeting the fans, so whenever I get a chance to go to a, a convention, that is a big, big thrill for me because... Uh, I get to physically then meet and press the flesh, but also feel the um, the enthusiasm and the dedication on a one-on-one -on -one basis when you you know physically meet the fans. So that's that's a kind of byproduct thrill. Uh, but the main one is the recording in the later games. Yeah, I can imagine, and it's going to be very exciting doing Hitman Three. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> say no more say no more <laughs> okay then well, what about the biggest challenge you faced on hitman over the 20 years when was there the most challenging moment for you now that that's a good one because i think it actually came relatively earlier early on because getting back to what i've just mentioned about the the the, the lines being pretty simple and sparse and um and i started to feel as by the second or even third game, that this was a, a, a relationship. This was a real person. This this thing was not... These aren't just words being said to get from A to B. There was a real feelings, real personality behind this. And yeah. it, for me, it was the investment of my own background into the way I was saying the lines uh, of Agent 47, where I... I couldn't explain why, but I just knew Agent 47 would not say a line like this. He would say it like this. Mm. And that awakening of uh, him as a character in my, in my imagination and, if I can also say, on the team as a whole, has been the most exciting challenge. That Now it's, it's a given because of the, which is reflected as I was just mentioned in the depth of the scripts and, and the and the dialogue and the torment and the feelings he's going through, um, but th when that first started to kick in, that was interesting to convince the the people on the other side of the the recording booth um, that this line could go this far. That Agent Forty Seven was really becoming a three-dimensional living human being uh, in the way he was saying his lines. And that kind of creeped up on all of us. And I, th and I was a bit, mm, maybe apprehensive is not the right word, but I was, there was a part of me thinking, are they ready for this? This, this is, um, the, the whole game and the character was becoming bigger than the sum of the parts. Yeah. It was actually becoming real or live. And uh, and being more more and more fleshed out, and I, 
I don't know. When you're doing the the zeros and the ones work, um, <laughs> maybe you're not of you know as aware of that. But uh, when you get to the the tail end, when I'm doing the recordings, uh, it all started to come become more alive. And dare we do it like this? Dare we? Can we have breathing on camera, you know, on on mic? You know why? Well, because he's very very close to this bad person, and he's hiding behind a curtain. You know, and whoo. Oh my God! This is it's, this is it's starting to sound more real. So that that process of the game kind of take taking being fleshed out um, uh, as an actor, from, from my point of view, that's been the kind of my greatest challenge. Yeah, I can imagine. And and you just telling me about that scene um, it makes me think as well. Have you? I mean, you must have picked up a lot of knowledge about espionage, assassinations, all of that, that you would never have known had you gone about your day-to-day and not been a hitman for 20 years. You must know terms and all sorts that people will go, how do you know that? That's a bit odd. (laughs) Well, my question to them, funny you should say that, is uh, I asked them. I said, come on, you know, you, I know where you live. You're, you're born and bred <laughs> Copenhagen. You're, you're a happily family father. And when we started out, none of us even had girlfriends. And now look at us, we're all kind of like, you know, married with the children and going, wow, how did we get here? But so I'm always intrigued. And I have joked about them with, with both the writers and, and um, creative people at, at IO sometimes on occasion. Where I've said, how did you? How do you know this? How did you get? What the hell are you doing in your in your private life that you know the chemical formula to make a poison to put into a drink, and how long it will take to kill you? And 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 how did you think of doing away with someone, obviously, which is in keeping with the the silent assassin um, theme of Agent Forty Seven that you should try and use as less uh, obvious ways of taking someone out. In other words, if it looks like an accident, fantastic. You know, and <laughs> and, I was, and I've, drew, I've asked them, you know, when you sit around and, and, and chew the fat and sort of bash out a storyline, I'd just love to be in that room. You know, oh, yeah, we could kill him by dropping a statue on him. No, better than that. No, no, a chandelier during a fashion show. Going, what? <laughs> How did you get to that? What are you on? You you know, so that that those kind of moments of um, and I'm sure it does take a, a, a combination of 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 people you know taking an idea and then someone else topping that idea and then developing that idea and, and then going off on a sidetrack and thinking all right we got some elusive hits on we got some other hits we can do another uh, contracts we can take out uh, laterally from the main contract. I have no idea, but I would love to be in the room when they're making those kind of bizarre decisions. It must be amazing because I can imagine them just deadpan, right? Just deadpan discussing like, yeah, we're going to have the classics. We're going to have the strangling, the chloroform, the out the window. Yeah. Uh, But we need some fresh stuff, guys. What we got? What we got? (laughs) Yeah. And and then you see these people almost like a real, you know, assassin uh, go home to their wives and children and say, how was your day, darling? Well, it was good, you know. (laughs) I just, I found a hundred ways to kill a person. Yeah. Or, or and, even, uh, that was a great day. Even better, you can imagine like 2 a.m. pillow talk, like, honey, yeah. if you had to murder me, how would you do it? <laughs> if you drop a piano on someone's head from the 10th floor, 
you know, it'll take a lot of cleaning up. Or, you know. <laughs> All those facts. It would take exactly 3.5 seconds from five stories. <laughs> yeah, and we've got to make sure that they will hit that spot at the same time as the piano. Okay. <laughs> Incredible. I do have a, another interesting question, actually. Um, all of my curiosity is being answered today, by the way. It's just an, I'm taking full advantage of all these questions that arise. And I go, right, I can finally ask him all these things. Yeah. If you could go back in time and tell past pre-Hitman David Bateson one thing, yeah, what would it be? So I've never done Hitman. Never done Hitman. Hitman hasn't even entered your world yet. But if you go back to that point in time and speak to your former self... And you could tell it one thing, like one piece of advice or one piece of information. What would it be? Ooh, could be a long silence. That's yeah. fine. That's what editing's <laughs> for. Put, in a, put a commercial break in here. Yeah, that's a good one. I I heard this in an interview um, recently, and I don't know where. I don't know if it was a Graham Norton thing or something else. But it was a similar kind of a the the idea was are there anything you regret mm. no actually it was in a film it was a film I saw anyway it'll come to me and I, I remember nodding as I heard the answer and I you know I could almost in a way almost hear the writer thinking oh this is clever <laughs> uh, yeah as they're writing it down uh, that's how you see it if, if, as you do you know if you're in the, in this game you kind of have sometimes the ability to step out and go oh that was oh I would have thought of that you know, <laughs> yeah. wish I thought of that um, about and the, the there's the issue was what is it you regret and say so, oh I have no regrets because I wouldn't be where I am now if I did something differently and I go oh that sounds very zenny and ooh, <laughs> oh kimosabi you know um, but there is an element of that in in the answer in the sense that if Agent Forty Seven hadn't come on uh, happened uh, I would like to think that. It would never have happened. In other words, that someone else hadn't got the job, that that Hitman was never made, because I might find that a bit of a problem. Because you know, <laughs> I would play the game and I'd be going, "Shit, this is good. Oh bugger!" You know. So, for the sake of my own peace of mind, let's assume that Hitman never happened. A piece of advice to myself would be: I would like to say that I would have been more proactive in um, in looking for that kind of deep character work because I have an, an what can almost be an irritating ability to just live in the moment in the sense what you actually mentioned right at the beginning of this that uh, <laughs> you're not good at you know planning uh, <laughs> a fu- the future I don't live in the future I live absolutely right now I have daydreams about th- what ifs, but the the point is, I'm I'm re- I I rest very comfortably in the here and now, which can be infuriating for other people. You know, oh yes. Me, oh, yes, my wife or or friends thinking, David, but you, you know, shouldn't you be worried or shouldn't shouldn't you be doing more? And I'm going, I'm I'm fine, right where I am today. So yes, my advice to myself if that had not happened was. I would have liked to have convinced myself to be a little more proactive in in terms of seeking out such like opportunities as Agent Forty Seven in the computer gaming world, uh, because if it hadn't happened, I probably wouldn't have done anything 
I would have just gone, do it's Tuesday. It's fine. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and woken up on my you know, my deathbed going, Oh, was that it? Oh <laughs> so <laughs> anticlimactic finish. Yeah, well, you know, you know we we take so much for granted. Um and it's just like, you know, whoever sent that expression, youth is wasted on the young. Uh, is one of the truest expressions ever ever said. Sabber true, isn't it? Like the older you get, the more you're like, ah. don't, don't <laughs> grab, seize the day. Just like you know, me walking away from an audition for the National Theatre, which turned me into an actor, and I just wanted to go surfing. And I thought I was off the hook because I didn't have to, you know, I didn't see the bigger picture. Yeah, this was the National Theatre who could offer me a professional career. I was just having fun on a daily basis pratting about in dance classes and, and, and acting classes and hanging out, you know, with all the girls. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think it's you meet people, hopefully, in life that will push you in different in the right directions or drop a seed of advice, which actually might grow in you and go, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I sh- maybe I should do that. You know? I mean, just like my, my own mother when I was 19, uh, who said, I think you should go down to the um, the local TV radio station and uh, see if they need new voices for their for radio drama. Because in South Africa at that time, television was only three years old. In 76 it came, I think it was. And it was total shite, three hours of TV a day. But so everyone listened to radio drama. Uh, so that was the big thing. Everyone can, can you, it's unheard of. I know, crazy times. Yeah, that little seed of advice. No, yeah, I should go down. And I went down and auditioned, and that started me out doing voiceover work. Holy crap. I would never have thought of it myself. It's amazing, isn't it? Maybe when I was, you know, halfway through my life. Oh, yeah, I should go. Maybe I should go and use my voice. Idiot. (laughs) So my advice to myself is I hope I would have been more proactive in in seeking opportunities. So I asked you what... Being Agent 47 taught you about Agent 47 in the world of espionage. But in terms of the whole process in general, for about 20 years working with the game studios, working with a game studio that started off a lot smaller than it is now, yeah, um, and growing and watching the industry grow and everything you've been a part of, what has being Agent 47 for 20 years taught you? Oh, um, patience, I think. Yeah? Yeah. I, and I, you know, I'm saying that word instinctively. Uh, in the sense that I, I'm not giving it huge amounts of thought. Patience in the sense that, um, okay, 20 years and patience go together uh, in a way, you know, just, just putting them in the same sentence. They do add up together, yeah. Yes. But what I, what I mean is um, because I live so much in the, in the here and now, hmm. patience is not even in my mind. I don't even know what it means. When you've been on board a franchise for 20 years, it gives you a certain gravitas. It gives you a certain sense of uh, what is the meaning of the passage of time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, there could have been times when I, I, I might have wanted to go, oh, I chuck it all in, you know. Or, you know, there was that time when I wanted to go in another direction and decided to drop me uh, for after 11 years uh, before absolution came along or yeah, at the time of recording absolution and I thought well well that's the end of that amazing adventure and I was 
obviously disappointed, but I, I just um, now I can see the significance of having mm, the patience to remain involved in this uh, extraordinary character or this, this franchise and, and appreciate it for what it has, the opportunities it has, has given me um, you know, work-wise, but also ex experiences-wise in the people I'm meeting and and also the people that I interact with who I've got to really you know, care about and grow up with. Yeah. So yeah. I, I wouldn't have appreciated it so much if patience. I, I, um, yeah, I just I feel like it's kind of given me some some kind of um, wisdom about about the passage of time, which I wasn't even aware of. I mean, I don't know about you, but I still think I'm 24. Yeah, I don't think I've ever aged over about 22, to be fair. <laughs> in, in there, my mind. there you go. I mean, <laughs> it's an immense shock looking in the mirror. <laughs> Every morning. As long like, as I look into the mirror, I go around thinking, yeah, right, I'll go, I'll go surfing this summer. And I've, oh, which board should I use? Or, you know, I'm just thinking, shit, Dave, you, you, you've, you need to... No, I don't. I think, no, I'm still... It'll come as an immense surprise to me uh, when I'm, you know, too old to do little stuff. And I'll be going, oh, but I don't, I don't understand. I must have a cold. Yes, I'm still. <laughs> I thought I was 24. You know, um, that that sense of passage of time is uh, is an important one to appreciate. Oh yeah, definitely. And because I live so much in in the now, I don't. I don't even. I'm not even aware of the passage of time. So having been being involved and committed to one job or one person for 20 years, it, it actually forces me to appreciate it and to see uh, that passage of time. I go, oh, yeah, well, that's been quite a journey. Uh, what have I learned from that? This, this, and this, and this. What experiences have I had from that? This, 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 and this. Oh, right. Oh, I, I thought it didn't, didn't just happen in a day. <laughs> so yeah that's what it's kind of taught me and an appreciation of time and giving me a, a patience to understand it and that makes sense because as you were saying earlier you know hitman has been an anchor for you throughout that passage yeah. of 20 years both in you know career-wise and life-wise you know it's always been there bizarrely yes i'm very happy for it yeah definitely so I've got a scary question for you now then, which uh, ties in very nicely to what you just said. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. What do you hope for the next 20 years, David? <laughs> <laughs> I had this question ready and you were going off on this patience thing and I'm like, it's beautiful and it's amazing. And I'm now about to ask him about the next 20 years. <laughs> yeah, well, here we go. It's, it's um, uh, let's put it this way. I'm currently watching something on uh, Danish television about a journalist who travels around this island. Uh, I can't remember the name of the island, but it's some uh, Buddhist monk that came with the, came up with a, a, a pilgrim, uh, you know, experience like a pilgrimage. You know, where like you do you do it across northern Spain, from, uh, the Basque country, over to that's the Christian version. You can just you go visit these different cathedrals or, or churches, and and the time you spent meeting people and, and just being alone and in nature and stuff, you have time to come closer to your your maker or understanding of what life's all about for you. Yeah. And yeah. 
This similar series, uh, 10 half-hour episodes, is this journalist taking on this, visiting 88 temples on this island. And it takes them, I don't know, five, seven weeks. I'm a, I've watched five episodes out of ten. I could binge the rest, but I don't want to. Savouring it. Yeah, really. Um, because um, it's, I'm kind of going on the journey mentally myself. And uh, so looking into the future, you could say cynically, listen, the best bit is definitely behind you. You know, now you've really got to look after yourself and and it's all downhill from here on in <laughs> and it, you know and i'm going no i refuse to accept that i'm, I'm 24 <laughs> no but you know in this mentally uh, um but uh, what i mean by that is that uh i really want to um continue obviously working uh as an actor uh, and and continue to play in 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 my imagination in different roles, if it's film, theater, or computer games. Um, I sincerely hope the journey continues, you know, forever <laughs> with with the Hitman franchise. But uh, as an actor, uh, or an, taking one step away from that, as a human being, I would like to think that I'm going to put stuff that I've learned to better use. In other words, I'm going to try and force myself to think about the future and not just live in the present. And that's kind of almost like quite a grown-up thing to do, I suppose. Um, I don't know where it'll lead, but you know, I'm obviously going to do my best to stay as healthy and, and uh, as possible. And any time I develop anything that looks like a cold, which is I'm, very, I'm rarely, rarely ill, very rarely ill. Good. But with, for example... COVID around this year, that's haunted me a few times going, shit, I shouldn't have done that because, damn, that wasn't actually very clever. Mm. You know, um, I could have picked up, oh, bugger, because that would mess up a lot. Uh, take, you know, taking it for granted that I would survive it. But, um, you, know, uh, you know, this recording and what would it do with my voice? Yeah. And uh, yeah. would I be able to... You know, do that. Those three days filming I've got after the summer there, and would I have to push that to my next visit to England? And you know, I'm suddenly thinking, and I would like to use more of the experiences that I've had in my life to look forward and use those. Uh, really, kind of like do a bit more planning, but a bit more getting back to what I was saying there. A bit more proactiveness in uh, in looking forward and appreciating all this knowledge. i give you an example. When I was in my early 20s working at the National Theatre in South Africa, um, or the State Theatre, as I should be called, um, I remember standing, I used to, I wouldn't go to my dressing room in, in between scenes during, I always would remain in, in the wings. And I'd watch the actors on stage, uh, these scenes, you know, because I was a, just a junior actor, I didn't have so much to do. <clears throat> so there were relatively long periods of time where I'd just be, waiting for my cue. Yeah. And I could easily have gone into my dressing room and heard it over the tannoy. Okay, it's coming up. I better go over. No, I would stand, always stand in the wings and watch the actors on stage. And what I was doing was I was looking at these older actors going, how the hell do they do that? They don't even look like they're acting. 
And that was the exact thought I had. So that kind of ease of standing on stage as, as uh, you know, Claudius in, in, in Hamlet, and I'm, watch, so I'm watching an actor there who's in his mid-50s or something, mm-hmm. and I'm going, shit, even I think he's Claudius. I mean, he is, Cla- isn't he? <laughs> I thought he was an actor. You know, that ease at which they were taking their life experience as human beings and as actors and just making it look so easy is so hard. Yeah. And now I'm at that stage, uh, I'm enjoying that ease of you know letting go and just kind of making it look really believable as humanly possible. And it's that, those kind of intangible experiences I want to be more somehow conscious of in 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 future productions or future acting opportunities not so that I'm, not so that you could, the actor is seen to be working on the contrary that's what you did when I that's what I was doing when I was a young actor I go, oh look at this oh the audience can see how much I'm sweating here oh you know. no no that's all being self-conscious and wanky uh, <laughs> I just wanted to I just want to use that imagine imagination and the experience and uh, and take advantage of it in, f- in the future. Wow, I think it's a fantastic answer, actually. What about you in, in control? So I know we've got a... Reverse interview time. How did that come about? I'm just curious because here, I mean, because let's just wind back a little bit. We meet on the red carpet. We've done the interview before then. Yep. Then we're on the red carpet at the BAFTA Games. And the next time, boom, you're in Finland. And boom, you're in control. <laughs> a fan, you know, nominated in, what was it, nine, ten categories? Uh, yes, I think it was even 11. We tied the most nominations with Death Stranding, yeah. Isn't that irony? I, I remember the first year I was in Denmark, um, without going into the details, I ended up in a film with, uh, directed by Gabriel Axel, who won the best foreign Oscar for Babette's Gestabu, Babette's Feast. Yeah, and his next follow-up film was the true Saxo Grammaticus story from the 10th or 11th century of Hamlet, and he was supposed to be doing it in Danish, and the, the Dutch main producers or backers who were given the cash suddenly changed their minds uh, and said, "Listen, sorry, you've won the Oscar. You need to now not do another art film. We want you to go mainstream." So. He'd been he'd been pre-production it for about three years, and suddenly he had to drop all that. Oh wow! And uh, do it in English, and he was English is not that good. But the the point is, after one year being in Denmark, I suddenly found myself on this film, and he I went with him on a flew on a to England to meet the rest of the cast, and I found myself in a room full of famous British actors. And I, I couldn't help but see the humor or the irony because thinking I left Britain because I couldn't get work, enough work, as an actor uh, in, in Britain. Yeah. And yeah. one year later, by leaving the country, it wasn't a career move. It was like career suicide. What are you going to do in Denmark? Um, one year later, I'm on a plane and I go back and I'm standing in a room going, hello, yes. and you know, Helen Mirren, <laughs> ah, yes. And, oh, wow. Oh, Tom Wilkinson, you know. Ewan Bremner uh, from Trainspotting and, and Andy Serkis and this, I mean, Schiller, Gabriel Byrne and so on. But I just kind of saw it, from, again, from the outside going, well, I didn't see that coming. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there you are. You leave all that sort of Englishness behind you and go to Finland and end up in this monster hit computer game acting your little socks off. Oh, well, I wasn't acting in Control. I just did sound design for Control. No, no, but I'm, but I'm, I'm saying that... The, sorry, I didn't mean acting, but I meant that, that you were involved in that extraordinary experience. Oh, yes. That's... Yeah, it's been an insane few years. How, did, were you connected to those people before? Uh, yes, in, in a very slight way. So I'll, it's, it's actually kind of a long story that I'll keep fairly short. Um, but I was studying a PhD at the time. Um, I was halfway through a PhD at York, looking at effect and emotion using immersive sound design in intelligent games. Um, So I was actually studying for that. And as part of the program I was signed up to, IGGI, I-G-G-I, I I had to look for an internship. Um, And it could have been three months or more, basically. And I was like, well, if I'm doing one, I want to do one. So I'm going to look for a minimum a year because... I'm not going to just go to a game studio for three months and then come back and then yeah. you know finish my PhD. And they go, well, that was nice. You worked at a game studio for three months, three years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I started reaching out to people. Um, and one of the people I reached out to was a, a lovely man called Richard Lappington, um, who works at Remedy and has been there for a very long time. Okay. And I met him previously at Develop, a conference in Brighton, uh, where he gave a talk on their previous title, Quantum Break. Um, which I loved. I, I actually played it after the talk. Um, <laughs> I hadn't played it before, but it was it was a fantastic game about time manipulation, which I'm a sucker for. I absolutely love time travel, time manipulation, anything like that, and it got me hook, line, and sinker really. Yeah. Um, so I reached out after you know playing this game and whatnot, and I was like, oh hey Richard, um, if you hear of any internships anywhere, by the way, because he was industry more than I was. Yeah. I was doing the podcast and things, but he was you know, within industry and whatever. Yeah. And I was like, if you hear of any internships anywhere, um, you know, I'm looking for somewhere to go for this, that and the other, you know, and he's like, oh, hang on. I think we might have something. Really? And um, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Didn't even cross my mind that he would be like, here, we might have something. I just thought he might know someone who might know something. (laughs) And uh, could be in London. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And then there I was. And, uh, you know, I think this was like in February. And then the next thing I know, in March and April, I'm having Skype interviews, and they go, yeah, we've created this intern position, uh, position for you. We don't usually do it for this long, but um, here's a 12-month fully paid position, and we'd like you to join. This is the offer. And I'm like, what? Wow. Uh, yes. I didn't even think about it. I was just, yes. Um, and there I am, sat in my, my flat in York. That is um, insane. In March, April time, going, okay, now I have to move yeah. to Finland, I guess. So yeah. and okay. where is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm, no. during the interviews, I'm googling Finland because I know nothing about it. It's never even I knew it existed. That was as far as I ever got. Yeah, but here's the thing: you've got this now recorded. Play this, <laughs> play this backwards, and hear the steps you've you've gone through. And that's those decisions, the um, accidental whatever decisions that have influenced your life as to where you are now. And yeah, it's crazy. You couldn't, it? you couldn't possibly have known when we met each other on the red carpet. The I had Baptist, no idea. That you would end up where you are now and, and your, your involvement with control and the industry and so on. You would have naturally assumed that Sound Architect would still be continuing and you'd be doing podcasts. Yeah, at and, least. And yeah. other work. But you finish your PhD in York and let's see what happens. But you see, not just the, I'm looking at literally the the... The, the recording line, the, the track, and I'm thinking, well, if you just 
spooled back one minute and hear that what you said then, spooled back another minute and then rewound another. You'd be hearing your life in the in the decision steps that you that you took. Yeah, yeah, it's and true. those are that's where it's interesting. Those those are the kind of moments where you're going. Well, I, I wouldn't. I, w- I was no way I would have ended up in this situation if this and this and this and this didn't happen. No, yeah, and I try to remind myself when it's because you in in any creative field you have many moments where you doubt yourself, you doubt your abilities, and you want to. You yeah. always want to be better, right? You're always like. Yeah. Uh, and I definitely suffered from that imposter syndrome everyone talks about, where you're like, oh, I'm not even good enough to be here. Somehow I blagged my way yeah. in, but now I've got to prove myself, so let's do some good stuff. Oh, that's not good enough. Ah. Yeah. And then, you know, I just try to remind myself that like, if I could turn around and tell 15-year-old me what, what I'm doing now, yeah. it just loses mind. Oh. You, just, you just lose it. <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, exactly. You couldn't, in your wildest fantasy, have predicted it. And it's that kind of um, life journey that I, I would hope to, you know, try and, and be aware of, uh, and be and 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 be aware of those kind of decision-making moments uh, in the future. Yeah. Um, instead of me just going living in totally in the, in the present, just going, yo, it's good today. The sun is shining. <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong; I still have uh, days like that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. But I mean, but also that feeling of being—you know—I understand that totally. Of being discovered, or oh, this is the day they find out that I'm—I can't do sound design. Oh, yeah, fuck. literally no. that. Yeah. And then, by the way, you're an imposter. What are you doing here? How did yeah. you get in here? <laughs> I'll—I'll I'll throw myself out. You know, They're already ready with the coat every time they come in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm already keep, it, keep it by the door. So, so, yeah. <laughs> They're coming for me. So before I let you go, because I could chat to you forever, I have to admit, there's so much we could discuss. Yeah, well, it, yeah, come to Copenhagen again. Definitely. I'm definitely, as soon as travel is uh, a little easier, so shall we say, um, it's definitely on the cards. So Hitman 3. Yeah. Okay, the announcement was made. Hitman 3 is coming. What can you tell us about it that you're allowed to say? What, what, what nuggets of, of teasing can you give us? You know, obviously, I've got a non-disclosure contract, which is bigger than my contract. But um, what I was intrigued was about was to because this is the uh, the conclusion of the trilogy, and it's it's one, yeah, it's one massive conclusion. It's an incredible. Uh, uh, there's so much going on in this. I mean, I don't know how many levels we got to do, but not enough is from what I can, you know what I feel when I've read the the through storyline um because the the scripts are you know we're doing one level at a time um and in fact what we've done now are all the the cinematics and the first level and i know when i come back i've got mm, at least a couple of levels to kind of do and then then it'll be uh retakes and stuff Uh, yeah and so there so the, the 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 writing that i'm getting to see um is not the whole script finished written script of every word that's being said, um, but I can see the journey now. What I've been intrigued about was um, Mr. Gray uh, and how that relationship was going to develop, because suddenly it feels like you know Agent Forty Seven has got a sidekick and has a better understanding or a growing understanding of himself thanks to uh, the character of Mr. Gray. 
you know, they went to the same, had the same experience and the same upbringing. Mr. Gray can remember it and is, is quietly helping. So, um, so that, that I'm intrigued to see how that that you can look forward to, um, and also in a very surprising way. As far as storyline, uh, I can't say a single of word, course. other than of the course. fact that it is, uh, you know, the the uh, the finale of the trilogy uh, of games of Hitman One, Two, and Three. Um, in t- what stunned me, and I think actually took Agent uh, IO Interactive completely by surprise, and uh, I, I can't prove that, but I think they were. But uh, what was when? Um, when Sony announced uh, PlayStation 5 before uh, IO Interactive had announced Hitman 3. I mean, it was a no-brainer. You know, the industry or, or the gamers knew it was coming, but it hadn't yeah. been, offic- yeah. as far as I know, it hadn't been officially announced. And then suddenly, Sony put this, you know, fantastic trailer out, and the, the second title was the, the, the trailer, the teaser trailer for Hitman 3. Oh, wow, straight after. Yeah, it was the... It was either the first or the second that, that that came up, or the few games that they they showed little bites of. You know, I think they had about four, three or four different. I seem to remember. Um, and one, it was a fantastic thing for 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 our interactive and Hitman Three to get that incredible uh, free boost uh, or you know advertising publicity, but it was it just looked. Yo, okay, this is good, but it was the surprise of it that that overwhelmed certainly overwhelmed me because I didn't even know. You know, I was I was still having to deny everything or plead the Fifth Amendment every time I was asked <laughs> uh, on, on all my social media channels, and then suddenly my phone melted, you know, and I went, "What's happened here?" I was almost scared to pick it up, and then uh, yeah, it's always alarming, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, the the Sony announcement, and uh, and obviously the fans were just going, "What? What? You we you promised? I'm like, I haven't done anything. I haven't said a word." <laughs> so now beyond beyond the announcement um, and the general hype of the of Hitman Three, um, I can only add to that by saying it's all true in the sense that this story is. Absolutely amazing, um, Hitman Three. What the the writers and the the creative people at uh, IO are in the process of giving us all. Amazing, and I think that's a great note to end, to end it on. I'm very much looking forward to Hitman Three. We'll be sharing content as it comes out, and also I have to say I'm going to be putting the clip of the Chuckle Brothers live playthrough <laughs> below this podcast <laughs> just so everyone can have that enjoyment in their lives because they deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure having you back, David. Thanks again for coming on the show and, and I very much look forward to speaking to you again in the future. My total pleasure, Sam. Here's to the next 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And uh, have a good summer, eh?
Hey everyone, this is Sam. Thanks very much for listening to the Sound Architect podcast today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, there are many ways you can support the show, which is incredibly appreciated. Obviously, there's the financial way where you can support us on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash sounddesignuk. However, there are many other ways which also help, such as liking, subscribing, reviewing, commenting, and sharing via whatever channel you listen on. Even a like or share on social media really, really helps, so thanks so much for your support already. It really is a work of passion for me, and I'd love to keep sharing the knowledge from all these talented and wonderful people. Thanks again, and catch you on the next episode.